text tonight from the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, beginning at the 17th verse. Exodus thirty-three seventeen, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Moses is really known in scriptures, in the scriptures of having some of the most, we might say, memorable, or some of the most uh, powerful some of the most intimate or some of the most personal one-on-one encounters with God himself. In fact, it's difficult uh, to think or compare really with anyone else throughout the Bible some of the experiences or the special times of communion that Moses himself had with God. Earlier in this particular book, we remember in the third chapter of Exodus where Moses is at the backside of the desert. And the Bible tells us that he was keeping the flock, the sheep or the goats of of Jethro, his father-in-law. And really Jethro is a little bit of a mystery in the scriptures, but we know that he's also referred to as rule in Exodus 2, 2, 18, which in the original means friend of God. Well, the Bible tells us that Moses led the flock like I mentioned to the mountain of God, the backside of the desert, and the scripture refers to it as Horeb, and it could be referring to a mountain range where Mount Sinai was, or maybe it was Mount Sinai, that word Horeb. For what it's worth, some, I guess, today believe that maybe this was in Saudi Arabia, and others believe that it was in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. But it says in Exodus 3, 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Well, it's thought that the angel of the Lord here could be referring to the pre-incarnate Christ. That God here was using this flame of fire to appear unto Moses himself. And we know that uh, fire throughout the Bible Often it symbolizes God's judgment. A lot of times we see fire and we see brass, the brazen altar, justification. And uh, we know that, uh, in fact, the writer of Hebrews, he says, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, it's interesting what Moses encounters here. At this time and at this place, the fire was doing something much different. The bush that's referred to here in the third chapter was what in the original would be like a bramble or something with thorns or something prickly. And it says, Moses looked and behold, the bush, the bush, excuse me, burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. We have a neighbor behind us that has oh, just over three quarters of an acre and, um, 
he rents his property out and he's often, seems like almost all the time, he's trimming or he's cutting or he's mowing or he's clipping or he's working or he's fixing things. And back in July, something strange started to happen. We were getting those 100-degree days and I noticed he had what appeared to be a flamethrower. This thing was the real deal. It looked like Ghostbusters. It had this tube, it had this cartridge, and it was blowing flames maybe two feet long. And I mentioned to him, I think you're going to burn our house down. Well, this was the, the, the time when at night, you know, the breeze, it felt like a blow dryer. It was so hot outside. And after a few days of this, I wasn't home, but Allison, the kids were coming home, and, and there was this smoke billowing, and, and from a long ways away, it looked like maybe it was our house, and as they got closer, it was quite a spectacle. Uh, Sunnyside Road, the people were leaving the, the road and coming to uh, our property. The flames were about 20 feet tall. Things were very much being consumed. It wasn't safe to go into our house. After a while, the fire trucks came, quite a few of them, and actually the crowd, to see this spectacle, they were blocking the, the street, so it was hard for the fire trucks to get there, but we're thankful they did make it there. It definitely was a consuming fire. Much of his property was destroyed, but really the house was saved, but a lot of it was destroyed. And I remember walking around with him later that night, and he explained, we're not sure how this happened. The fire department told us to call 911 if he ever uses that again. But this really was quite a spectacle. People wanted to see what was happening here, and it's exactly, well, very much more so. It, this must have been a spectacle when Moses saw this flame that should have been consuming, and it wasn't consuming this bramble or this bush. It says in, in verse 3, and, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. In verse 4 of Exodus 3, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And we know that God, by way of this bush, a voice, the voice of God, calls Moses to call the children of Israel out of bondage. Moses didn't like this idea. He was told by God that he would stand before Pharaoh on behalf of the Lord to say, let my people go. Well, this was to release the children of Israel from bondage. This was to fulfill a 430-year-old prophecy of a time in which the children of Israel would be released. Moses is worried. He feels unqualified. He feels like he's not up to the task. He even asked the Lord, who shall I tell the children of Israel has sent me? God says unto Moses in verse 14, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I believe God here is saying, I am that I am, which means I am the self-existent one, the self-existent God, the self-sufficient God. 
In fact, I liked one writer put it this way, God is completely self-sufficient, having within himself the sufficient reason for his own existence, the God of the universe. But what an encounter with God Moses has here. An encounter that no doubt changed and transformed the life of Moses forever. By the time we get to the 33rd chapter, Moses has come a very long ways in his relationship with the Lord. You think about this initial encounter. I can't. I'm not qualified. I, uh, how am I going to do it? Why me? It's the right place to be. But by the 33rd chapter, Moses and Aaron had uh, stood before Pharaoh. The plagues had happened, and we know the account where uh, the Passover was instituted, and in this miraculous way, the, the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given, I believe, to Abraham, initially, they were released from bondage. And by this time, even, they had gathered at the Red Sea, the armies of the Egyptians had been destroyed, and even the Lord himself had began to sustain them miraculously, physically. Manna had been coming down to feed them. They had received fresh water from a rock. The Lord was right by their side. And so later, Moses finds himself here back at Horeb or Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments were given. In fact, many laws, many ordinances. If you read through these scriptures, working up to chapter 33. Looking at chapter 24, verse 3. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He not only received them, but he begins to prepare this book that he writes down God's very words. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And by the end of the 24th chapter, really, the experience that Moses has with God is awe-inspiring. In verse 24, verse 17, And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went up into the midst of the cloud, the presence of God, where God was. Look how far he's come. And got him up into the mountain, and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. And as you read further in the scriptures here, God tells him about the sanctuary. He tells them about the Ark of the Covenant, the, the table of showbread, the, the golden candle. And, and we know that gold in the scripture often refers to holiness. And we know that uh, the tabernacle in general is explained to, to Moses here. And of course, the brazen altar, the golden altar. And we know a place is made for the Holy of Holies. Well, after all of this, Moses comes down. Chapter 32, verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. For some reason they got restless. They begin to come up with a golden calf and fumble around with that. Verse 10 of Exodus, 30, Exodus chapter 32. Now therefore let me alone. This is the Lord speaking, that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. And then we find this another incredible account encounter between Moses and the Lord. 
Moses actually says to God, remember your covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob or Israel? What will the Egyptians think if after all of the victories you did for your people to bring them out of bondage and then to take them across the Red Sea and to, and to consume their armies, if you then consume your people, what will they think? You see, Moses was growing in his relationship with the Lord. In fact, he goes as far to say in chapter 32, verse 32, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. The Lord makes a very clear distinction here. We are accountable for our own actions. We are accountable, accountable for our own sinful deeds, not someone else's. We cannot blame someone else. And even back then, there was a book. The Lord refers to it all the way back here in Exodus. There was and there is a book. And our name can be there. We can see by way of the scripture. And our name can be removed, sadly. Really, the closest parallel passage to this scripture is found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, where John is writing to the church at Sardis. He says in Revelation 3, 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And I'm looking at that original word for blot. It means to smear out, that is to obliterate. But look at the contrast. We want to be an overcomer. Look what the overcomer is promised. Jesus himself, these words are in red, these letters to the churches. Jesus himself will confess our names to his father and to the holy angels. This is literally going to happen. And I think it's going to be even more real than what we can imagine. Because our bodies will be, have been changed, our minds will have been changed, and we'll stand before the Lord himself, and Jesus himself will confess our names before his Father. In fact, he'll say, they're my friends. They're my children. They're my joint heirs. Really, we have a hope that's beyond our imagination. But if we get back to Moses here in our text, by the time we get to the 33rd chapter, we found another personal experience between God and Moses. After this period of time, God tells the children of Israel to leave the mountain. He tells them it's time to go to the promised land, to leave Mount Sinai. And Moses, uh, the scripture tells us he had built the tabernacle and it was outside the camp quite a ways. And so the people, they would stand at the doors of their tents and they would look and they would see Moses enter the door of the tabernacle. And the Bible says that the cloud of glory came down at the door of the tabernacle and Moses would go in there and, and commune with the Lord. And even the people, as they saw this, the Bible says that they would worship at their tent doors as they saw Moses in the presence of God. In chapter 33, verse 9, and it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. 
In verse 11, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Now we know that Moses could not have seen all of God's glory here. It could be that God's glory was shielded in the clouds as he spoke uh, with Moses as a man face to face. But he says, as a man speaketh unto his friend. You notice how God speaks to Moses as his friend. And I think sometimes we make it too complicated. The Lord wants to be our friend. The Lord wants to have a relationship with us, with each one of us as friends. The Lord wants to commune with us as friends. The Lord cares about our emotions. He cares about our likes and he dis, our dislikes. He cares about what's important to us. And what do we do with a friend? We tell our friends about those things. You know, emotions, our feelings, they were part of God's creation when he created us. And I believe the Lord cares. The Lord wants to be and have a friendship with each and every one of us. In chapter 33, verse 17, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And what he's speaking to is Moses knew that there was quite a bit ahead that was unknown. And Moses was telling the Lord, I don't want to face what we're about to face without your presence. He didn't want the children of Israel to go and, and face these armies to possess the land without the presence of God with them and without the presence of God with him, with Moses. And, and no doubt he knew there would be very many difficult battles ahead and, and, and things that were unknown and, and looking at how the, the children of Israel had already really tripped and fallen. Moses didn't want to go without an assurance that the presence of God would be with them. And this is God confirming. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And, and we, too, should not want to go to school, should not want to go to work, should not want to face this world without the presence of God in our lives, without all that God has for us, without having on the full armor of God, I believe. The devil is at work overtime, accusing trying to deceive, trying to destroy, trying to trip us up, trying to get us concerned with, with things that aren't even eternal, things that don't matter. We want to have the presence of God in our lives. We want to be like Moses. And, and one thing that really sticks out to me about Moses is that he was growing in his relationship with the Lord. He's come a long ways to be at this place where in, in verse 18, he can, he can say, and he said, Moses, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He wasn't saying that at the bush. He could say to God, show me thy glory with this holy boldness. I believe we should be growing with the Lord. I believe our prayer life should be growing with the Lord. I believe that if we look back a month or we look back a year and we realize where am I at? Where are we at as an individual before the Lord? Have we gone deeper with the Lord? Do we have more of the presence of God in our lives? Are we praying in a manner that would that the Lord would want to be in our hearts and in our lives, in our places of work, in our in our time at school, wherever we go, we want the presence of God in our lives. Our relationship with the Lord should be 
in a manner that the Spirit of God would flourish in our hearts and in our lives? Is our prayer life getting deeper with the Lord? Is our prayer life increasing with the Lord? Are we drawing closer to God? The scripture clearly says, but grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it takes time. It takes effort. And we've said it many times before, if we, if we are seeking the Lord for a deeper experience, you have to put the time in. You have to put the energy in. You have to, you have to put the knee work in. It's not just going to happen. It's going to be exhausting sometimes. But I believe Moses is an example for us. Way back at the burning bush when he was called, we are all called. You were called to go to a place that no one else can go. God has a path for your life. God has a, a way for, 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 for what he would have you to do, where he would have you to go, who he'd have you to tell others about Christ. And Moses, he answered the call of God, but in so doing, he drew closer to the Lord. And he was able to get to a spot where he had this holy boldness to say unto God, show me thy glory. And we have been in uh, prayer meetings. We have had experiences where we have felt the glory of God. And when you were saved, you had a taste of God's glory. That was very personal. That was a miracle. And, and when we talk about when we got saved, there's different ways we can explain it. But we, some people say we felt like we were floating on a cloud or we felt free or we felt like the chains were broken. That was the glory of God. And we know it was the Spirit of God applying the blood of Jesus to our hearts and we were forgiven of our sins. When we get sanctified, we're at a completely different state in our walk. We're not asking for mercy. We're not asking for forgiveness. We're asking to be cleansed, to be made holy. Uh, When we talk about the golden altar, the place where the shoe bread, bread was at. And when we consecrate our hearts and our lives, the blood of Jesus is applied again. The second time the Bible teaches us by the spirit of God. And we were made holy. We're made holy. Why? To be prepared for the Holy Spirit. That's the point. And we want to have the presence of God in our lives. We don't want to lack the presence of God in our lives. We want to go deeper with the Lord. We want to get closer to the Lord. We want to have a relationship with, with the Lord where when, when something comes our way in our life that's unexpected, we're already prayed up. It's a good place to be. We can get a prayer through because we know there's nothing between us and anybody else. And certainly there's nothing between us and the Lord. And we want the presence of God in our lives. We want the presence of God as a church in our altar services. We, if we don't have the presence of God, we have nothing. How has your communion with the Lord been lately? How is mine? How has your personal prayer life been at home? How is mine? We want to draw closer to the Lord. If you don't have your baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need it. It's God's will for your life. God wants to give it to you. If you're not sanctified yet, you know, that's the most important thing in your life. You need to be sanctified. We, we tell those that are not yet saved, you need to be saved, there's nothing more important, and that's true, there's nothing more important, you must be born again, or you're going to miss it. 
You're not sanctified. You need to be sanctified. It's the will of God. It's God's desire for you. It's his promise for you. You want to receive it. If you don't have your baptism, you know, really the most important thing in your life is that you receive your baptism. It's a promise for you. It says it in God's word. You want to grow closer to the Lord in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the thing of it is, God's going to fulfill his promise. He's going to do his part. So we just have to do our part. We want to be closer to the Lord tonight. We have an opportunity to pray. Don't miss out on the presence of God drawing us closer to him. If God's calling you, believe he is. If you're watching or you're listening in, we think God is calling us each of, each of us to a closer walk with him. The song of invitation is 255. Let's come out and pray.